Welcome, Bible Love. We are back with a special guest we'll meet in just a moment, but today is the feast of Mary and Martha of Bethany. So I thought we would start with the prayer for the day. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, who enkindled the flame of your love in the hearts of your servants, Mary and Martha, grant to us, your humble servants, a like faith and power of love, that as we rejoice in their triumph, we may profit by their examples. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Bible love, y'all are in for just a great, great, great treat. We were just kind of talking a minute ago and I was like, stop, we've got to hit record. This is so good. Um, We are so honored to have our first bishop on our podcast, the right Reverend Brian Cole, who is the Bishop of East Tennessee. Um, I got to know Bishop Cole a little bit a couple years ago. He helped me through um, a pastoral um, situation, and I'm so grateful. And I just texted him and said, "Hey, would you be on our podcast?" And he t- texted me right back and said, "I'm about to go on a walk. Let I'll call you and we'll talk about it." And he said, "Yes." And we are so glad you're here, Bishop Cole. Um, it means a lot to us. If you remember, we finished up Numbers last week, and we're going to start Deuteronomy next week. But what we've been doing, sort of in between, is just a general conversation about scripture. And so we asked Bishop Cole to join us to talk about that today. And he already has tons of good thoughts and ideas. So tell us a little bit more about you um, and and your ministry, and then we'll jump into some conversation about scripture. Sure. Uh, Again, it's good to be with you all. And maybe if I pass the test, you will make me the Episcopal uh, visitor of Bible love. I love Uh, it. That would be a, a good goal for me. Um, so I serve as the Bishop of the Diocese of East Tennessee and have been here now almost four years. Uh, before that was a parish priest in Lexington, Kentucky, love parish priesthood. Before that was on the cathedral staff in Asheville, North Carolina at All Souls. Uh, when I was first ordained, uh, I served as a priest to the homeless in downtown Asheville. But uh, I think what's really important for Bible love is I grew up in the Southern Baptist tradition. I uh, grew up in the cradle of civilization in Southeast Missouri. And uh, as a kid was deeply immersed in scripture. And uh, while I, I love the Episcopal church and I love our church, uh, I'm also grateful for those uh, Baptist men and women uh, who again, just immerse me in the story of scripture. Uh, when I was 12 years old, I was the state Bible drill champion of the whole state of Missouri. Uh, the only time I've ever, ever driven, ever gone to Jefferson City, Missouri, was to take my title and uh, bring it back to the boot heel. And um, so, uh, again, it was just an experience of just being in the biblical world. And um, when I was a, a priest to the homeless in downtown Asheville, had an experience that for the homeless folk I worked with, the folks who lived on the streets in Asheville, that they, too, were still living in biblical times. That um, at times we think about scripture as this closed, contained book uh, and when, you know, when an emergency, you know, grab book. And for these folk, uh, I just remember thinking 
for them, scripture is still alive in ways that it can both comfort and also torment. Uh, that we ought to think about, you know, that collect about scripture being living and active, uh, that it remains living and active because we encounter it and engage it. Otherwise, it's that book that we um, we sort of revere without actually opening. Yeah, I love that. Um, we're not too far from Asheville or where I am right now. So thinking about that and I had no idea that was your first call. Um, I think what an amazing experience that must have been um, heartbreaking at times, but also um, so fulfilling, I'm sure. Um, yeah. really uh, yeah. a, a part of the experience there and, and there was a priest who followed a priest before me named uh, um, a Judith Welchel, this remarkable priest who founded Church of the Advocate. And a part of the engagement with scripture, folks would gather in a circle. You'd read the gospel lesson for the day. The vicar would do a brief reflection on the gospel lesson, but then would open it up to the room and say, what else do you hear in scripture? Mm-hmm. And so it was a powerful experience of watching a community uh, reflect on scripture together. And inevitably it was the homeless man or the college kid or the, you know, the person who joined us in the circle who would so often really offer a creative, thoughtful, reflective word that so exceeded what I had read, what I had seen, and uh, and realizing it helps to read scripture together, mm-hmm. to hear it together, and to reflect on it together. Absolutely. I, I, I think Alan and I have seen that a lot just in the podcast. Like, neither one of us want to do this by ourselves. We need each other. We want to talk about it with each other. And then we love bringing the guest on to do that as well. Um, that's really, really neat. Um, my, my first kind of question for you is, and I know that you had a couple of things you really wanted to talk about, but talk about that growing up as a, as a Southern Baptist, my mom grew up in the same way and how that has like made a difference in your understanding of scripture. So, um, again, in the Baptist tradition, uh, you know, there's a big focus on being Bible believers, right? And a big focus uh, on just spending a lot of time in Scripture. And while I now realize um, interpretation or what, what what it can be done with Scripture, I would definitely disagree with. Um, but the idea of kind of just jumping into a total world and a total story makes sense to me. Uh, my son, Jesse, who's 26, uh, I, I have no idea how many times he has read the entire Harry Potter story. And to this day, he has said to me, Dad, if I get a little anxious, I just go back and start reading Harry Potter. And when I realized watching him as a kid and watching so many other kids, and maybe it's C.S. Lewis and Narnia, uh, you know, maybe it's other stories like that, to watch people jump into an entire world. And, and, and get so engrossed in it that they kind of can navigate that world. And I think for me, what was wonderful about the Bible as a young person was that was the story I was invited to just completely inhabit. And at times in the Episcopal Church and some parishes I've served, my concern is we sort of do Bible appreciation. We kind of do this real indirect connection to Scripture. As opposed to, and it's what I love about the Bible reading challenge is what I love about your podcast to say, we need to kind of have an all in approach to scripture. If we're really going to claim it as our story 
because I think the intention is this remains our story. So on the one hand, this is a, you know, this is a, a story of Hebrew scripture. It's a story of the New Testament. But then a part of it is this story continues to be alive. So how is it alive now? Uh, yesterday, our staff, uh, each Wednesday, we gathered for morning prayer. And the lesson had was coming from the Gospel of Mark. And uh, Jesus is, um, uh, the folks are in the boat, and they're struggling in the boat. And Jesus is on the water. And there's that great line, he planned to pass them by. And it's like, what? You know, and I mean, so you think you could think about in our life right now, you know, is Jesus near me? Is he, is he walking with me in the midst of suffering? But when I think about, is he, he's planning to pass me by, like, is he indifferent or is he like planning to lead me or he believes I can do it? You know, I mean, so I think you can think about those, those scriptures where we say what's going on there, but then a part of that pivot of what's happening to me with, when I hear that passage and it's, and that's why it's important, you know, for you and Alan or for others to read text together and get a sense of, so now that I'm in Texas, now that I'm in South Carolina, now that I'm in East Tennessee, now that I'm in Tanzania, how is this text bringing up something new in me? And um, so I just, yeah, to me, uh, it is our story. And uh, if it's really going to impact my life, I have to engage it daily. Um, you know, as a, as a bishop, I want to stay healthy, which means I need to probably exercise every day. You know, like when I text you about going on that walk, um, you know, it's not, I should walk really hard for one month and then be good for a couple of years. Uh, and so to me, it's that, you know, it's engaging scripture daily that really allows it uh, to, to do its work uh, in our lives. Yeah. I think, you know, the one thing that you talked about with Harry Potter, I've got two young boys that, that love Harry Potter. One of our kid, one of our kids actually every night goes to sleep and we have the audio book and he just cycles through those books of Harry Potter every night. And he's immersed. He can tell you chapter and verse, what grade they were in, what they were doing. And why do we see engagement with scripture as something different, right? Like you go, I had a conversation with someone who jokingly talked about like um, the Noah's Ark village that was built, the Christian theme park, mm-hmm. right? We don't joke about Harry Potter world. We're mesmerized. We're amazed that someone has created such a place where you can go and be immersed in that world. I think it's okay that we can go and be immersed in the biblical world and see how the stories from the Exodus connect to what Jesus is talking about, to see how the rules and the regulations and the hard thing of Leviticus inform how Jesus talks about how he's come to fulfill the law. Right. We need to understand all of it and see how it works together. And so I love that idea of, of being enmeshed, being completely surrounded by the biblical story. Yeah. I mean, to me, you know, to think about I'm planning to be a Christian, I'm planning to walk the way of Jesus. If I somehow think scripture is an option, then that's going to be, a, I mean, it's almost like, you know, I now live in Knoxville, Tennessee. So like, you know, I'm somehow going to be a, I'm somehow going to be a Vols fan, but like I, I'm never going to go to a football. I mean, it's like to me, it's like you got to connect the dots of like, you know, if you're going to do this, this is not an option. You know, like all the orange gear and and you know being at the game and go smoky and all that stuff is all required. And I, I think what has happened, and again, I can appreciate, and I want to say to folks. You know, if you if you're coming out of a fundamentalist Christian tradition, uh, 
and it's been a harmful one or a hurtful one, I totally get, I totally get the ways in which scripture can be used to hurt folk. Um, and, uh, I think a part of the power of what we can do, uh, in a church that welcomes all is to say, uh, scripture remains our text. Somehow it's not a fundamentalist text. I mean, people can take it and read it in such a way that hurts folk. Uh, but right now, like the whole the story of race and racism in this country, uh, if you're really going to understand it, you got to be immersed in the story of Exodus to say, uh, here, here are uh, slaves in the U.S. that a part of their inspiration was to say, you know, you very white slave owners who say you're Christian, uh, we're going to claim this book and say, you know, the God of Exodus is a God of freedom and liberation. And, you know, so a part of U.S. history is lost to you if you don't know how the power of that biblical vision allowed people to endure real suffering, believing that God was still living and active in the world. Uh, so even in a place of hell, even in a place of oppression, even in a place of real trauma, they held onto the biblical story as a way of saying there's a, you know, there's a way out of this. And the way out of this is, is knowing that uh, God is on the side of Moses, not the side of Pharaoh. And uh, so it, you know, it's jumping all in and knowing that uh, to me, the real power of, of the Christian faith and the journey is, is knowing that scripture continues to surprise us. Uh, in ways that um, makes my life bigger, uh, allows me to see blind spots, uh, allows me and to be pushed. Um, so yeah, it's it's all in for me. I love that so much. Um, and you know, we can sit here as clergy people and be like, yeah, we're all in for scripture because that's like what we're paid to do, you know. But what I want to know is how do we get everybody else all in? You know, how do we get everybody else like? loving the Bible, like they love Harry Potter or they love the Vols or, you know, the YouTube Vols, whatever it might be. Like, that's what I get nervous about or pray about. I mean, even last night I was texting Alan. I was like, ah, I'm nervous about Bishop Cole because this Bible love podcast means something to me. And I want people to know God because of it. Maybe like that might be one small part of their day, right? And so I want people to feel how like you feel and like Alan and I feel about scripture, that it is essential to who we are as Christians, like you were just saying, Bishop. So, yeah, I think so. And I kid when I say this, but I'm not kidding. I think one thing we have to stop doing in the Episcopal Church with lay folk is treat is, is, is the way that we treat scripture like Bible appreciation. Mm-hmm. That, that we not ask them to have some distance between themselves and the story. So, so it's what I love about the Bible reading challenge. It's what I love about what you are doing with this podcast. Just this is your story. Begin reading and uh, also begin reading uh, a translation that you're going to read. Um, you know, th- there was a time in my life that I was quite smug about the message. And I, you know, I wanted everyone to read the New Revised Standard or uh, you know, read this or that. And then I sat down and read the message and realized, wow, this is like this, this story moves. And um, so to me, it's like, you know, find a version of scripture that you will read. Um, It's good to read together in community. Um, And, you know, I think if, if a priest or a clergy person wants to guide folk to, to encourage folks, you know, begin here or start there. I always tell people, you know, start with the gospel of Mark, 
Um, start with Philippians. Uh, start with the Psalms. What you all are doing, I love of just like start with Genesis and just read through. And I have a sister-in-law who's Presbyterian uh, in Memphis, Tennessee, who read, you know, all of scripture. And she would call me and say, you know, that's in there. You know I mean? So then, you know, so obviously you can have the conversations, but a part of it is you just, you just start. And um, I think again, to realize in a time where there are all kinds of tools and resources to help folk think about how they read it. Um, and I think, I think as clergy, what we can do is we can help folks get a sense of this is what you're going to read. You know, you're going to read history. You're going to read poetry. You're going to read wisdom literature. You're going to read stories of Jesus. I mean, I think for me now as a bishop, when I read the letters of Paul, it's like I have totally a total new appreciation for Paul. You know, he's writing a letter to a church in conflict that is some distance from him, and they think he's a Yahoo, right? I mean, that sort of sounds like being a bishop, right? I mean, you're I'm coming to visit these people all the way in this part of Tennessee, and I'm coming from Knoxville, and who does he think he is? And I mean, it's just like you know, it's it's our it's our story of 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 all the ways in which human folk who understand themselves to be made in the image of God and the spirit moves in their lives in ways that are holy and divine. And we need to capture that. And that's what we have in scripture. Mm-hmm. And, and if, if we're going to continue to have a sense of God moving in the life of the church now, we have to see how God has moved throughout history with a sense of God can still, God is still doing that. And do you have the eyes to see and the ears to hear? And do you have that biblical lens of a sense of what might God do next? Because uh, God keeps doing things, whether we, we see it or not. I think that community piece is really key, too, um, because if we're left up to our own devices, like we just won't do it. Um, Alan, we shared about we had the the app, the numbers app, and there was like a group of us reading through it. And I felt, um, and hopefully we'll do that with Deuteronomy, I felt accountable to that every day. Like there were people wanting to see what I wrote. I wanted to see what they wrote. Um, I think that being in community with it makes, I don't know, how do y'all feel about that? I think absolutely. Um, Personal scripture reading is important. I think it feeds us, but there's also the fear that if that's all you have, that's like how heresies start is I'm going to read it and figure out what it means to me. And that's what it means versus where you can wrestle and ask other people, not someone necessarily who has training, although that's helpful, but just ask other people who are going through it together. And so I think both for the accountability and for the mutual discernment piece, reading scripture and community is absolutely essential. Yeah. And maybe we're giving people just like a taste of that with this podcast. Right. But then we're, our hope is that, you know, you might go open it and go further in that. And I, I hope that that brings some excitement to it, too. Oh, everybody else is doing it. Maybe I should, too. You know, like I want to get people jazzed up and fired up about doing this really essential work, which makes us better Christians, better followers of God, better people, better understanding of our history of the racial reconciliation movement. I mean, we could go on and on and on about how scripture has affected our lives, right? Yeah, I think also, um, along with reading scripture in community, uh, as someone who uh, does center in prayer and is a big believer uh, in contemplation, to realize a key way in the life of the church that people have practiced prayer 
is through the reading of scripture and and sitting in silence, reflecting on scripture. So to realize scripture is also a tool for prayer. Um, so while there, you know, I think there's wisdom in reading community, also to think about if a person is wanting to cultivate a prayer practice that, you know, reading scripture in short chunks and sort of praying through that and just kind of savoring that, immersing yourself in that, reflecting on that as a way of journaling is a way to also build a kind of devotional life with scripture. Uh, years ago, uh, Luke Timothy Johnson, who teaches scripture at Emory, he wrote an article in Christian Century where he said he realized he now had seminarians uh, at Candler who their only understanding of scripture was in his seminary classes where they were doing, you know, historical criticism. And he said it was as if your first experience was with the human body was at an autopsy. And what I loved about that was, you know, you want to experience the human body running and walking and playing and uh, experiencing joy, experiencing pain, like seeing that whole body move before we go to, the, you know, less of this historical critical method. And so I think, again, that's why with our our folk to encourage that sort of devotional experience of Scripture, knowing that, again, when we engage it, we can also engage it critically but to not simply see it as this autopsy, this sort of dead word, and we're going to deconstruct it in a way that really um, limits its ability to shape us. Yeah, I think one area where I think clergy often fall down in helping instill this in congregations is by being gatekeepers. We think that the only way folks could or should engage scripture is the way we want them to. And whether that be only listening to the sermons we preach, only studying the scripture and Bible studies at the church, where, right, like I'm in Dallas-Fort Worth, there's a bajillion mega churches with some world-renowned preachers. And I know my folks probably listen to Matt Chandler, who is a wonderful Bible teacher. He's at a mega church nearby. And I listen to Matt Chandler, right? And so if folks are engaging scripture, if they're going to Bible study fellowship, if they're doing whatever it takes, personal reading at home, a quiet time, right? That's language that gets thrown around in this part of the world. If folks are doing that, in my experience, sometimes clergy try to tell them to take a step back and, oh, be careful what you're going to learn. You know, they caution, like let folks engage the full breadth of understanding of scripture. And then we can talk about maybe how we view the lenses that we look through. But I think it's helpful to understand how other folks see scripture as long as it gets us involved in the story. Well, and I think what I realized as a parish priest is, you know, folks would come to me and say, have you read this book or read that book? And I remember thinking, oh, you know, that I wouldn't, I'm not sure about the theology there. And I remember thinking, okay, it feels weird for me to be taking books away from people. <laughs> and, um, so what what we did what we did at um, Good Shepherd in Lexington, we were able to buy enough copies of Rowan Williams' little book called Being Christian. Gave that book to everybody in the parish and said, "We're going to read this book together." You know, and he talks about Bible, Eucharist, prayer. What was his fourth one? Bible, Eucharist, prayer, confession. Oh, they're both getting up and getting it, y'all. This is I only know I have it. Here it is. Baptism, I just baptism, Bible, Eucharist, and prayer. I would say yes. 
everybody should read this book. Because what I loved about it was, you know, at Good Shepherd, I had Baptists, I had Catholics, I had Cradle Episcopalians. You know, so people were coming from different parts of the Christian tradition with different definitions and different ways of understanding the Christian faith. So to have a Rowan Williams, you know, maybe the smartest Christian currently walking the face of the earth, uh, you know, this incredible Anglican bishop to reflect. And again, it's like it's 20 pages each chapter. So he's reflecting on baptism, Bible, Eucharist and prayer. To me, he kind of he gives us some common definitions of those four critical pieces of the of the Christian story, the Christian faith of the church. I think particularly in a time when like all things are in flux and COVID, post-COVID, and what will the church look like? To me, it's clear the church will continue to be a place of baptism, Eucharist, prayer, and, and the Bible. Like the structures might change, you know, general convention might turn into this or that, or a diocese might be this or that. But, you know, baptism, Bible, Eucharist, and prayer, you can bet the farm on those four. And uh, so to me, to help your folk, yeah, to, to encourage folks to engage scripture and to realize um, I always kid about, you know, being at Kroger or Ingalls or Publix. You know, you turn the corner and your folks are going to get questions about Scripture. They're going to get questions about the Episcopal Church. We don't want them to feel like, you know, they have no response. As much as say, you know, Scripture belongs to all of us. Um, you know, to talk about, you know, how the King James Version came to be, you know, and those Anglicans and those, you know, Church of England folk. Like, you know, this is our Bible. This is our book. Uh, and to encourage them to claim it uh, in a way that, that again, says what we do with it and the ways in which Scripture is revealed to us. Um, you know, what I love about the Gospel of John, you know, the Gospel of John, those two amazing passages, if it's okay to read the Bible on the Bible of podcast. Yes, please. We read it every week. Um, Towards the end of the Gospel of John, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. And then if you go to the very end of the gospel, this is the disciple who's testifying to these things and has written them. And we know that this te- his testimony is true. But there are also many other things that Jesus did. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So for me, when I think about a church that has said, we believe um, women are also called to the priesthood. Or when we say, we believe gay and lesbian Christians are also made in the image of God and are not made flawed, but are made as God's children and are invited to live out that expression of their life. To me, it's not to somehow we've gone against the Bible, but we've said the Bible so often points beyond itself. because. If, if, and you can, you realize, you know what? You could have written down everything Jesus did if you're talking about the historical Jesus. But to me, to point beyond to the, you know, the, the Jesus who is the Christ, you know, the, again, that Bible story is still open. And, and, and we are living in biblical times in a way that shouldn't be haunting, but comforting to say we are people that we believe God continues to reveal God's self to us over time. Uh, and years ago when, uh, general convention was going to be in Salt Lake city, uh, a group of us were there and we had these meetings of Episcopalians and Mormons. Now that was a party crew, right? And so we're together with these uh, Mormon elders. And at some point we had this great conversation where they talked about 
their belief in the Mormon tradition of God's ongoing revelation and to talk about the Book of Mormon. And I remember thinking, okay, here's my opening to say to them, and yeah, for us as Episcopalians who, you know, have been uh, inclusive of the LGBTQ community are of women in ordained ministry. For us, again, it had to do with ongoing revelation, you know, so that in some ways we are really different people. You know, you don't have a lot of Mormons and Episcopalians maybe hanging out together, but in that sense of believing God continues to reveal God's self in the world, we're in agreement there. Uh, and I think that's where scripture, I, I think we so limit what it can do in our lives because we say it's a book, it's in the past, it's done. Even scripture saying, we're not done. You know, it's like, you know, there's more, there's more to come. And I think that's where it only happens when we engage it. I mean, again, God's moving regardless of whether or not you and I are reading scripture. But when we read scripture together, again, I think it gives us a lens and a way to see uh, that sense of the spirit moving. So. Um, oh, my gosh. I, I could sit here and listen to you all day. Um, your words are wonderful and great. So um, I elect you to be the bishop that comes on all the time to the uh, Bible Love podcast. Um, I'm so grateful. So I'm going to I'm going to change my uh, I'm going to change my bio on our diocesan website to Episcopal Visitor Bible Love. I love it. We we will t- we'll take it. So that means you have to come back all the time. Um, and I'll just keep text messaging you and saying, "Come on, Bishop Cole, we need you." Um, I I really want to say to you, um, thanks for trusting two priests that had this idea and and wanted to um, share about the Bible with people and um, being a part of this. I also want to thank you for your ministry and and your words today. Um, I think we can really forget how exciting scripture can be, how it can be such a part of our lives, and most importantly, how it draws us closer to God and how we deepen our relationship with God. Scripture's powerful, and we I want people to know that. Um, so any parting words from either one of y'all? I'll just say thank y'all. Uh, grateful to be on this with you. And um, let me also put in a plug, uh, the Lambeth Conference next year, um, bishops around the globe are reading together uh, First Peter. So uh, at some point, I know I want you all to keep that, go at the speed that you're going. Uh, but maybe uh, maybe when I come back, we can do a special session on First Peter. Yes. Uh, it's, a, it's a powerful text for bishops to read together particularly now around our globe, uh, issues around climate change, around COVID, uh, around all kinds of concerns. Uh, but but the, it was important to say, let's read let's read a text together. So we are reading First Peter together. I love that. We can go out of order for you this one time. No problem. Um, and I love to know that all the bishops are doing that. That's awesome. Really great. Well, thank you so much. We love you. We appreciate you. And remember, Bible Love listeners, as always, we love you, but most importantly, God does.